This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. And I'm Kevin McLenathan, and I it only seems appropriate, Wade, that for this episode, we kick things off with some tried and true pearls of street racing wisdom. Something like, when you live in the fast lane, you need to stop and smell the roses at 60 miles an hour. Or, you know, hit the nitro and, and yeet that car forward. I'm dabbing right now, Kevin. Uh, please don't dab. Please, please do not. Listeners, today we review the newest film in the Fast and Furious franchise. The official title is F9, The Fast Saga. Well, Wade, you may not be allowed to dab, but are you at least wearing a muscle shirt for this review? Kevin, I know it may look like I take steroids, but these biceps are all natural. We got our tickets to the gun show here on episode 295 of Seeing and Believing. All right, let's see what that beast is made of. You ready, y'all? Crank it. If we can't break through, we stop it. Listeners, we are here with episode 295, and Kevin, I feel like the Fast and Furious franchise is coming close to the number of episodes that we've recorded. It's it's not quite there yet, but it's very, very close. Yeah, it's it's really coming up fast on us in our rear view mirror. <laughs> eh? See, to, I, I'm really just tossing out these pearls of street racing wisdom left and right. Well, listeners, we are going to get to our review of Justin Lin's F9, The Fast Saga. I can't say the name of this movie without chuckling a bit because it just feels so absurd. It's called F9, The Fast Saga. I don't, I don't quite understand, Kevin. Yeah, I, I don't really know if I'm if I'm fully grokking the uh, the the intent behind that that title. I mean, does that mean that this movie itself is a saga unto itself, or you know, is it is it just going to be like the next movie is going to be F ten, the Fast Saga? I I don't know. It's unclear to me at this stage, mm. but I'm sure all will be made clear in time. One thing that that is very clear is that this podcast we're going to be talking about movies. But it's really about family, Kevin, when you just get down to it. Uh, it's about family, just like the Fast and Furious saga <laughs> is. We're going to get to that review in a moment, listeners. We want to take a, just a brief minute to talk about our Patreon campaign. Thanks to all of our supporters out there who really just help us keep the show 
going. If you'd like to check out our Patreon page, just go to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. We got a, a number of different donation levels. And one of our favorites consistently is the what can you buy for $5 level. You get a lot of perks, but it also begs the question, Kevin, what could someone buy? And I'm really excited about what you're going to come up with because it's it's definitely going to be automobile related today. What can someone buy, Kevin, for five bucks? Well, automobiles come in all shapes and sizes, Wade, as I'm sure I don't need to tell you. $5 would get you, I mean, we're talking about $5 a month here. This is obviously uh, going to be something you you pay for on the installment plan, but $5 a month would get you some Roomba slippers. Mm, well, it- so gets you from one place to another and cleans your floors while it does that. Yeah, well, I like the $5 a month plan because when you do that, you get fuzzy slippers every month. So you just get kind of a new pair and they wear out to where they just kind of disintegrate by the end of the month and you just kind of step into your new ones. So that's the beauty of the subscription model, especially for fuzzy slippers. Yeah, and if you have a cat, the bonus is that the the cat will have endless fun and or terror being chased around by your Roomba slippers. So you know it's it seems like it's kind of a win win for mm, everybody. Wow, that's that's really amazing. I say I think I said fuzzy slippers, but you said Roomba slippers. Oh yeah. Oh, that's, did you did you mishear that? Oh yeah, Roomba slippers, very different. Oh, very very different. Wow. Well, I mean, that's that's nuts because you could clean your. Oh, I was I just I guess I wasn't paying attention. It was too good to be true, but it's not too good to be true. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it is pretty amazing. Uh, we want to extend a special thanks to all of the listeners who have already pledged to our Patreon. Wade, last week we actually released a, a bonus episode for our Patreon listeners' ears only. That was our review of Bo Burnham's Inside. And we actually got a little bit of feedback from, from one of our patrons. Christy Olson said that, uh, overall, I thought the songs were catchy and Burnham obviously is an inventive filmmaker, but I wasn't blown away by the project as a whole. He has such a high level of self-awareness that it was hard for me not to feel myself distanced from him, even though he was obviously making a very personal project. Thanks for uh, taking the time to send us your thoughts, Christy. For the rest of our listeners, we know that even if you haven't pledged to our Patreon and heard that bonus episode, a lot of you have seen Bo Burnham's Inside. So of course, we would be very interested in hearing your thoughts as well, because you and I had a had a pretty good discussion, a lot to talk about in, in that recording. Yeah, I I had a lot of fun discussing the movie, probably the most fun that I've had in in a few weeks, because I, I feel like I feel like that that movie lended itself to some great some great discussion. And so that was, yeah, that was really fun. So listeners, if you are a Patreon supporter, hop on over there. You can listen to that podcast. It's there. If you're not, you want to check it out, become a supporter and you can gain access today. Once again, go to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Today's episode begins with our review of F9 The Fast Saga, directed by Justin Lin. Here's the film's official synopsis. Dom Toretto, played by Vin Diesel, is living the quiet life off the grid with Letty, played by Michelle Rodriguez, and his son. But they know that danger always lurks just over the peaceful horizon. This time, that threat forces Dom to confront the sins of his past to save those he loves the most. His crew soon comes together to stop a world-shattering plot by the most skilled assassin and high-performance driver they've ever encountered, Dom's forsaken brother, played by John Cena. Kevin, this is the first time in 295 episodes that we've talked about a Fast and Furious movie. And I have some experience with this franchise. I've probably watched half of the movies and briefly watched a few of the other half of the movies. So I'm familiar with the characters here in this film. I wanted to ask you, though, what's your experience with this franchise? And do you think it impacted how you went into the film? And I guess maybe just your overall expectations of F9. Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, my experience with this uh, franchise is even more limited than yours. You are the resident expert uh, on on the Fast and the Furious saga, at least as far as this podcast is concerned. F9 is the first one that I have seen from start to finish. I've caught mm. snatches of earlier films here and there, you know, just kind of being in the room while someone else was watching it. But I haven't actually like sat down and, and, and engaged with one. And a, in a weird way, I almost feel like that's uh, almost an ideal way to encounter this late this late installment. I know, of course, the franchise's reputation for just utter insanity in terms of the 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 car chase scenes, some of the stunts, the increasingly high stakes, and the increasing uh, craziness of what these characters can do behind the wheel of various vehicles. So I, I know that it's kind of got that reputation, and because I haven't seen any of the earlier installments, I feel like in some ways that freed me up to just not have any expectations going in other than mm. that I would be greeted by just a lot of really uh, flamboyant action sequences that involved cars. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't really expect to see certain kinds of action or to see an earlier installment topped. I went in just kind of expecting a, a generically good time. And, you know, I don't think that this is a very good movie. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll just be upfront about that right now. And I think, but I think part of that is less the, um, some of the more out there elements of the franchise. I think Engaging with this movie kind of on the level of a Mission Impossible or a Bond movie where the outlandishness is part of the point, I think it, it equips itself fairly well. There's some genuinely fun action sequences, especially in the latter half of the film where we see some 
ultra powerful magnets get put to work on some of these cars. Those action sequences are a lot of fun. Um, and I think that the kind of the globe trotting aspect of the film too, you know, it feels pretty much of a piece with the kind of more like Roger Moore kind of James Bond movies where it's kind of the point is to be a little bit crazy and out there. But I think the, the thing that F9 lacks maybe that these other action franchises have is charismatic characters. And I think that's really where maybe this film falls a little bit flat for me. And we can talk about that in a little bit more depth, but I am curious to know your thoughts, Wade, uh, given that you do have more experience with this <laughs> franchise. I want you to tell me, you, you know, you've seen more of this franchise than I have. You know the characters a little bit better than I do. So I'm curious to know, like, tell me what I missed. Tell me what you thought of this new installment. <laughs> well, it's so fascinating. So I know there are some people who just love this franchise. There are some people that, you know, this franchise or saga, whatever you want to call it, is their Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is this is what they love. They're excited. Every time a film like this hits theaters, they're there, there with popcorn. And I've never been able to get into the series. I don't know if it's because I'm just not really a car guy or or what, but I just... I've always been kind of bored by many of these films. I think the best one from what I've seen is Fast Five. I thought it was I thought it was fine. I know a lot of people really liked the seventh film in the franchise, also directed by Justin Lin. I just I I, I couldn't get into it. And now with Paul Walker being gone, the film does lose that charisma factor that you're you're mentioning here i don't think paul walker was ever great in these movies but i but i liked him and i found him at least somewhat relatable uh in this movie you know there are a number of aspects that that could point out and say okay yeah i i appreciated this or i like this i just i i just didn't really care all that much and i I've told people, I don't really like these movies, but I'm so fascinated with this franchise. Like the history of this franchise is wild. And I I don't know if somebody's ever written kind of a book analyzing how this franchise became what it has become, but I would love to read that because it, it begins as a sort of on the ground, undercover cop, street racing film, right? That's, that's the Fast and the Furious. And then now you have characters like Mr. Nobody, who's this like secret agent person putting together all of these jobs. And you have characters driving cars into outer space. It's just incredibly wild how this franchise exploded and not only exploded in terms of viewership and dollars, but just in the overall setting and style and vibe of of the series. I mean, it just kind of, I don't know, it just kind of blows my mind. It's not enough to make me like the series, but it is fascinating nevertheless. And I, I think the film really does hurt here from Paul Walker being gone, uh, Dwayne Johnson, he played a key role in Fast Five and some of the other films. And I think him being gone also hurts that charisma factor. And I just don't think 
Vin Diesel can carry it like the film wants him to carry it. Him and John Cena, they're the emotional heart of the movie. And I don't, nothing against them. I just don't know if a film can can work super well if those two are the emotional hearts of the film, uh, especially given the script that they have here. Yeah, you know, credit where it's due, I think that the the way that Justin Lin sets up the conflict between the two brothers and uh, interweaves some flashbacks to the this traumatic time from their past where uh, their father dies on the racetrack, as one would expect, and it, that incident drives a wedge between them and kind of gives a, a new wrinkle, or at least from from what I understand from, uh, from reading about other earlier installments of the franchise, it adds a new wrinkle to the uh, overarching theme that ties all these films together, which is family. The, the idea that Vin Diesel's Dom prizes the idea of family so highly, and yet uh, is estranged from his brother, and not just estranged, but feels open hostility towards his brother. The directing and the editing of these flashbacks really do their utmost to complexify that theme somewhat. The the idea that uh, Dom is uh, simultaneously almost obsessed with the idea of family, but also kind of has this dark past that makes family a uniquely sore spot for him. I think that's interesting as far as it goes. I think the, the larger problem is that Diesel doesn't really seem... I'm not sure if he's not interested in giving a performance or if Lynn isn't really directing him in an effective way to elicit a performance from him, but he's kind of a personality void at the center of this movie, which is kind of a problem because you want to be having you want you want to be having some electricity coming off the screen whenever he's on screen even if he's just kind of sitting down in you know behind the wheel of a car and his arms are outstretched and he's not saying anything you kind of want to be rooting for him in some way or or feel something as all this death-defying daring do is is going on and you really don't and you kind of see this in his performance in the non-action scenes where he's kind of just standing in front of the camera and he's not really doing anything physically. He's not doing anything particularly interesting with his voice or his face. He's just sort of standing there and saying lines and it just it just kind of lays there. And that's, that's something that, I mean, you think of a movie like Mad Max Fury Road where Tom Hardy doesn't have a lot of dialogue in that movie. Almost all of it is is physicality and the way he uses his, his eyes in that film. And he's a really interesting character, even though he's not he's arguably not even the main character of that film. And you really need that somebody with that kind of presence in in this one. I mean, Charlize Theron is in both films and she has great presence i thought in this movie but she's also kind of this uh shunted off to the the supporting role she's not really on screen for very much of the film and there's nobody else really to fill that charisma void here which makes the action scenes feel like they're they're technically accomplished maybe in terms of the amount of filmmaking 
craftsmanship that had to go into them, but it doesn't really feel like there's any magic there because you might as well have crash test dummies behind the wheels of these vehicles. Mm-hmm. I, well, I will say this. Vin Diesel does a really good Samson scene uh, where he just kind of like pulls, <laughs> I mean, he just pulls like this this cement. He, he literally hulks out pretty much. Like he, he pretty much destroys an entire sewer just by pulling on some chains. I don't know. Maybe maybe he has super strength, and that was in an earlier installment. Well, yeah, yeah. The the uh, he had the uh, super soldier soldier serum somewhere. Yeah, no, and 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 that makes a lot of sense. And I talked about this with some people when I watched the seventh film that a lot of people really did like, and a lot of people talked about the action sequences. My problem, too, there, as it is here, is I don't really care about these individuals all that much. Uh, There are some scenes where, okay, yeah, yeah, I'd love to see them survive. But it just becomes so detached from any sort of physicality. And I think what the movie here does is it embraces that detachment. So it essentially says, yeah, we know in a lot of action movies physics don't work like they should (laughs) that you know there are scenes (laughs) that people do impossible things not just like oh very few people can do it but impossible things and in this film it's like they're like okay fine like we know that and we just don't care like we don't care if a car can't drive on a on a bridge that's falling and made out of like rope and and wood like we don't care we're just going to do it we don't care if a car could go into outer space like we we're just going to do it and there's something sort of endearing about a few of those scenes where it's like okay yeah like Vin Diesel is going to jump out of a building and and grab the bar of a double decker bus with one hand and somehow like survive it's impossible but it's like okay let's just go bananas like let's just have fun with it um so there were a number of sequences that okay yeah they're kind of thrilling and i think justin lynn for the most part knows how to film an action scene he knows how to keep things pretty organized and so in that sense yeah i mean i there were a couple scenes that i that i liked but because it was so detached from these real world characters uh, I just, I just, it just wouldn't work. And then I, I, I do think one of the flaws of the film is Lynn knows how to, he knows how to film action and cars and things exploding in vehicles. But not only does he not create, I think, a group of compelling characters here, but he actually doesn't do a very good job of filming action sequences with characters fighting. And so it, it the film itself in the form is more comfortable with vehicles and explosions than even just people punching each other. You get a lot of cuts during those scenes, a lot of close-up shots, and it just doesn't work. And I I was actually watching Kevin uh, Captain America Civil War the other day. I watched part of it. And there's that great scene at the end where Bucky and Captain America are fighting Iron Man and they're kind of throwing the shield back and forth. And we get this nice wide long shot of that action sequence as it's just kind of going. And it just, it was like this light bulb. And I I was thinking to myself, that's, that's one of the things that's missing 
from this Fast and Furious movie. We just never get something like that. And so it's just, it's interesting how the story and the acting are so far detached from the humanity that it even bleeds over into some of these action sequences as well. Yeah, and, you know, again, I don't really go into a, a movie like really expecting to care deeply about the the inner lives of of an action hero that's a nice bonus if i do but you know like ethan hunt isn't the most uh you know he's not uh, uh a great literary hero like he's not jay gatsby or somebody he's just he's a guy who he's tom cruise and you watch tom cruise run and jump and and fight and it's it's just kind of it's enough to to be interested in him, I guess. You don't have to be, uh, you know, deeply involved in in his inner internal struggle or his emotional life, but you know, you have to be interested in him at least. And I think really the only the only characters that I think are can be described as interesting in this film are uh, Tyrese Gibson's Roman and Ludacris's Tej, mm. mostly just because they kind of seem like they're the only characters who are given space by the the screenplay and the directing to just sort of like hang out and and be human beings for for brief snatches at a time. Uh Dom and and Letty and the rest kind of they're they're either stuck um you know saddled with the dialogue that is purely expository or or really trying to hammer the the theme of family really hard and they don't really have any chance to kind of just be to sit there and just be fun and engaging to to be around i mean i can't i can imagine what it would be like to you know go get a drink with with roman and tej i have no idea what what dominic toretto and i would would even talk about <laughs> Other, unless, you know, I guess I could just say, so what do you think about family? And then he could just go on for, for a while while I sat there. But there's not really any, there, there's just no spark animating that there. And, you know, it does feel like Lynn wants there to be something like that there, given the, the flashbacks to this, to this youthful Dom and, and his, his, the younger version of his brother. And I think those scenes are probably maybe the the strongest mm. in terms of just making yeah. me feel anything at all uh in in the film like you know i th- i think as far as it goes it's it's kind of an an interesting dynamic to explore the problem is that uh whatever happened in the intervening years between young dom and the dom that that turned into vin diesel whatever happened in those intervening years kind of sucked his personality right out and i don't know where it went which is it's a real shame because it could have been uh, more than that. Yeah, yeah. I wrote down that I liked many of the flashback scenes. They just felt a little more grounded and and connected to the characters. And it is funny, too, because you mentioned Ethan Hunt, and I'm reminded of Mission Impossible 2, my least favorite of the Mission Impossible franchise. But there's that, oh, yeah. there's that scene where they're fighting and the kind of the dove comes across. And there's one shot here that's, I think, pretty good in this movie where two characters kind of meet in cars. It's towards the beginning. And there's a shot up above these characters. And this flock of birds just kind of comes by. And and it flies by. And it feels very kind of meta. And I do like the conversation where there are a number of characters who are essentially saying like are we like are we invincible like we're not like we don't we're not dead 
we should be dead. <laughs> we, we shouldn't be alive. And yet we are. And that's Tyrese Gibson in, in Ludacris's characters. And there's something really funny and on the nose with that. And so I do appreciate just kind of that nutso sense that the film has. And it is very almost meta. And it's like, yeah, we just don't really, we don't really care how grounded to reality we are. But it just kind of goes to show you that you need you need strong characters. You, you just need people that you, you do kind of care about, at least in some way, for a movie like this to work. And like you said, it's not that we have to we have to completely embrace these characters and get so tied up emotionally with them that we can't untangle ourselves from, from them, but we just need to to really believe that they're in danger and be worried that they are in danger. And that doesn't actually, you know, it doesn't actually happen. And I think too, for me, just in terms of plot, in the middle part of this film, the characters all kind of separate to go search for clues. And I feel like the movie kind of stalls at that point. That's also the point in the film where they lean into this sort of weak connective tissue. It's where movies say, hey, here's where we are. Here's where we want to go. Here's the action sequence. How do we get there? Okay, let's just kind of throw something in. And so characters will say, oh, I found encrypted GPS coordinates there. And so they're all kind of off doing that sort of thing, which is just not really interesting to me. So I think that just in terms of plot too, this movie um, this movie has some some work to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of hand-waving in this movie, and especially because I hadn't seen earlier installments, I was inclined to be charitable to those parts because I'm like, oh, okay, you know, maybe this is... This is a series where you, you just kind of, you buy into it or you don't buy into it. And it's more fun if you buy into it. So, okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll accept that, you know, this this makes sense, even if it kind of doesn't. Um, I, I think that as far as it goes, it's, it's kind of fun to see like, oh, there's, you know, everyone just happens to have this, you know, all, all this high-tech spy equipment. Uh, it, it's... It, all it takes is the mention of Dom's name to make these rocket scientists be okay with uh, the characters borrowing their rocket. I mean, that's kind of, you know, it, it's whatever. It's fine. The The larger problem is just you don't really know, okay, so even mentioning Dom's name kind of carries this mystique for for his crew and even for, you know, some, some other people he's just kind of trying to get help from. And that's fine as far as it goes, but this version of Dom, it's not clear, you know, he, he may not be all that compelling to me, but it's not even clear to me why he's so compelling to the other characters. Why, why do these other characters have this ride or die relationship with this guy who kind of just doesn't even really seem to feel much of, of anything in general, but really just does. He seems to be in, interested in the concept of family, but not really in kind of just what it's like to be part of a family. And maybe that's ultimately where this film falls a little flat for me is it pays all this lip service to family, but being part of a family is part, you know, you, you feel things about each other and do these characters feel anything about each other or do they just say they feel things? It's, it just, I, I don't really get that vibe from the film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if it's really going to lean that hard on family, as kind of the 
centerpiece of the whole film. I just, it needs to put a little bit, it needs to show its work a little bit more rather than just sort of saying the word and hoping that its mystique will pervade everything that we see going on in front of yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think that the, I think the argument to kind of counteract that from individuals would be, well, a lot of these characters are in other films and you might you might be missing something because of that. So one of the rocket scientists, he he was, I think, the main character in Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, and I believe he was in Fast 7 at some point. So they're, they're all kind of connected in a lot of different ways, but even, even me who has seen half the films have seen, you know, sections of the other half or have read like the synopsis of the ones I haven't seen. It's still hard to kind of keep track of characters who die and come back or characters who are in one movie and then kind of pop up and then pop up in something else. And so it just, I, I don't, the argument that I present, I don't think it actually works because when you get this many films, uh, that's not necessarily excuse. Of, okay, we did the relationship building in previous movies, so there there does need yeah. to be something else there in this film. Yeah, I mean, for, to give an example from kind of our other mega franchise, okay, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I had not actually seen uh, a Thor movie uh, before uh, the event, the first Avengers movie came out. So I, you know, I didn't really have any connection to Thor as a character. I didn't really, you know, it wasn't. It hadn't been established for me as an audience member, you know, exactly who Thor was beyond his barest outlines or how the other characters kind of kind of knew him. But I feel like, you know, even even watching that film, you kind of got a sense like, okay, Thor, Thor is kind of this, he's likable, he's got he's got a personality. You can get why mm-hmm. somebody would be interested in in working with him, being friends with him, spending time around him. He's he's a guy that that kind of makes sense to have a relationship of some sort with. And I think that holds true for a lot of the Marvel characters. You know, regardless of my quibbles with the franchise as a whole, one thing that Marvel's really good about is creating these characters that they're likable, they're they they have strong relationship dynamics among themselves, and that kind of goes a long way towards making those films work. So even if you you miss a couple and you don't fully understand everything that's going on in the plot, you kind of get like, oh, I understand why people would be devoted to Captain America because he's not just this bland guy who stands for, you know, justice and and truth and heroism. He's a guy with specific personality traits who, you know, people would be would feel a sense of loyalty to simply because they know him and like him, not just because he's the protagonist in the screenplay. And I think that that's really the sense that you don't get from Fast 9. Even if you haven't seen earlier installments, it just it doesn't feel like it makes sense why why Dom commands such respect, even even just in general, I guess. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's kind of the uh, the the larger problem. Yeah, yeah. It, it is interesting too because the joke is, oh, well, these films are all about family. And the movie, it's just like, okay, how do we do that with characters that are already, you know, we already know their stories. Uh, Okay, let's get a brother that we didn't know about 
and tell that story. It's just really, I don't know, it's just interesting. And that's just what I have to say about this series as a whole. It's just really interesting how it has morphed and changed. And I assume another one will be out, I don't know, maybe next year or two years from now, because that's just the way things go. And a lot of people will still see it. I don't know. It's just it's just kind of fascinating. Listeners, F9, the Fast Saga is currently playing in theaters. Let us know what you think. If you liked it, we would love to get your thoughts. If you didn't like it, hey, shoot us your comments as well. We'd love to read those on the show. You can tweet us at cbeliefpod, at cbeliefpod, or you can email us at seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. Kevin, we have reached the end of the show. We've been we've been on a road trip. We've been on a journey. And now we are going to recommend something from the world of television and or film to our listeners before we head out, before we drive away. We hit that dusty road. <laughs> what would you like to recommend to our listeners this week? Okay. Well, you know, normally, Wade, when we do these recommendation segments, we're kind of, uh, uh, or, or at least when, when I come up with a recommendation, I kind of have... Our, our listeners primarily in mind like this is a recommendation that I, I want to make to to our listeners and you know you know maybe if if you haven't seen it you know it's it kind of can be a recommendation for for you Wade as well yeah. um but in this case I almost kind of want to flip the script a little bit where yes this is a recommendation for everyone who's listening uh, like I, I think everyone should go out and, and see this movie it's currently playing in theaters right now I think it's really good but I especially want to commend it to you oh, Wade Bearden yeah. because I think you will like it so much uh, it is Edgar Wright's documentary The Sparks Brothers uh, this is a, a documentary about a band named Sparks and the, the basic idea behind it is there's this uh, this uh, brother, uh, these two brothers who form a band called Sparks, and they have been around for decades, decades upon decades. You know, as long as as the Rolling Stones, they are kind of an institution, but and and they've been hugely formative for a lot of later bands, and yet the band name Sparks doesn't command the same kind of name recognition as something like the Rolling Stones. So Edgar Wright made this documentary to kind of like say, hey, there's this great band that is really influential. You've probably never heard of it. You should listen to them. So it's kind of got this evangelistic bent to it. It's Edgar Wright. So of course, it's just got this great filmmaking verve. I'm not normally a, a huge watcher of documentaries about bands. Just, you know, I'm not, I'm not really that into pop music where I can get go really get into those. But I got really into this one. I think it's just a fantastic, fantastic watch. Uh, it's, it just is life, it, you know, it's life affirming. The two brothers are uh, just, they, they seem like really great people. They're not the, the sort of rock star where you kind of get the sense that they spend a lot of time with drugs and debauchery and are kind of mellowed now in their old age. It just seems like they're just kind of really solid guys and they've <laughs> always been that way. And it's just, it's very, it's a very nice, uh, uplifting movie. The reason I want to recommend it to you, especially Wade, is I know how much you love the film Stop Making Sense. Oh, yeah. And even though this isn't a concert film, it's about a band whose DNA definitely found its way into the music of the Talking Heads. So I think you'll oh, enjoy wow. it both as a film and also I think you'll really dig the music a lot given the fact that you like the Talking Heads so wow. much. Wow, wow. So 
Yeah, definitely check it okay, out. Okay, cool. Now, is that streaming or just playing in theaters or or what? I believe I believe uh, it's currently in theaters right now. I haven't been able to find it streaming anywhere. I'm sure that uh, after it's been out for a little while, there that it'll at least be available for on-demand streaming, if nothing else. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, however you can catch it, I would definitely recommend seeing it in the theater. This was actually uh, my first post-COVID movie in a theater. I know that earlier I said that Heat was going to end up being it. That screening ended up not working out for me for various reasons. Okay. So this was my first movie back in a theater and just a really great choice, I thought. Wow. So uh, if you can catch it in a theater, definitely try to do so. Wow, that sounds great. Then that's really that's really exciting. Cool. Well, I have to have to check that out. So I was I was going for a car theme uh, here in my recommendation, and I've got to go to the master himself. I know I've talked a lot about Steven Spielberg. But the film that really put him on a map is his TV film, Duel, from 1971. And this is one of those movies that even though it was a a made-for-TV movie, uh, it's pretty accessible. I mean, you can really kind of get it anywhere. It did actually premiere in some theaters. I think it was mostly in Europe later because it just, it kind of took, it kind of caught some traction. Uh, This is the story of a businessman who's commuting to work and a a a driver a evil driver a truck driver driving an 18-wheeler uh, basically terrorizes him along his drive and the inventiveness of the photography here is just incredible for this being his first i believe feature film and i love the fact that Spielberg was able to take an 18-wheeler and turn that vehicle into a villain. And what's crazy is that 18-wheeler has more personality than Vin Diesel in F9. It's just, it is what it is. I think the movie's fantastic. If you're looking for a great car movie, a great road movie, uh, definitely check out Duel. And interestingly enough, Emily Blunt recently said this was one of her favorite horror movies of all time. So if you like Emily Blunt, uh, I guess you could say she also recommended this movie on our podcast today, too. There it is. Yeah, Duel is is really good. And you definitely see the kind of filmmaking savvy in it that you see out of you know, something like Spielberg's jaws. Like you never see this driver's face. You only ever see like his hands on the wheel or maybe like his feet on, you know, you know, viewed from afar, uh, you know, hidden while the rest of him is hidden by the truck. And it's kind of crazy just how, you know, this unseen menace is just such a presence in the film. And it, because you don't ever see his face, kind of his face becomes those those headlights mm-hmm. and the grill on this on this big truck. And you're right that just there's something about that choice that makes it so much more effective than if Spielberg had maybe you know actually trained his camera on on the villain's face. Uh, he gets a lot of mileage, no pun intended, out <laughs> of uh, just 
you know, shot setups that were obviously made because, you know, he kind of has to do his best with a small budget to convey a sense of speed mm-hmm. and danger. And so he kind of has these these low angles near the wheels of the cars that really make it feel like the speed is increasing, increasing, and the intensity is ratcheting up. I just think it's kind of a masterclass from, uh, in, in some ways, just showing like you can, a, a great director can make a very good movie you know, no matter what kind of resources they're working with, if they put their mind to mm-hmm. it. And I think Duel really, really does that. Yeah, it's really great. And it's cool to hear, it's cool to hear George Lucas kind of talk about that movie too. And not really knowing Spielberg at the time, but I think he was at like a party at his house and he saw the film on television in one of the rooms and just like sat there and watched it all and was like, oh man, this like, like this guy knows how to make movies and it's just it's fascinating to to see what a movie like that does for a person's you know career and uh you know how he's you know he really got his start from duel he was able to make sugarland express another film that features an extended car chase and then from there of course um he got the keys to jaws and the rest is is history. So, yeah, definitely check out Dual Listeners if you haven't had a chance to see that. This is the end of our show. Once again, listeners, you can rate and review on iTunes, and you can also reach out to us at Pod at cbeliefpod, or seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this week's show. It's brought to you by ChristandPopCulture.com. And producer is Jonathan Clausen, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. My co-host is Kevin McLenathan. And until next time, this is Seeing and Believing. We'll see you later. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.